Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. You are Locked On Mavericks, your daily Dallas Mavericks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome into Locked on Mavericks for Wednesday, September 21st. My name is Mike Marshall at Machine Sports on Twitter, if you play that game. He is Jacob Kemp of the Ticket in Dallas, and he is at Not Jack Kemp on them internet streets, if you want to check him out as well. I know you're a little under the weather, but you're going to fight through, right? This is going to be your flu game. That's right. I've got uh, a bevy of... Uh, instruments that I'm not really sure about their efficacy, including throat spray, emergency, <laughs> and uh, water, which I've heard. <laughs> Water's uh, good for you, for yeah, sure. That's what I've heard, but, you know, TBD. The only, the only one I believe in in that stack is the water. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the rest are, not, are no way panaceas. I think they're just, uh, I think they just make you think you're getting better. Like, I yeah. take emergency every day. I don't know. I don't think it does anything. Throat spray is like when you're like if if your wife is yelling at you, and you you think to yourself, "I hate her," and then by the time you stop thinking about that, she stops yelling at you, and you consider that a solution to a problem. <laughs> if you if you come away from that like eh, conflict conflict resolution <laughs> right. achieved, then wipe, that's what throat my, spray is. Wipe my hands of this. Yeah, it's not. It's, you're nothing is getting better. You're just pushing no. things further down the road. Yeah, you're just falling asleep in the middle of a fight. That's right. Which is just going to make it worse. That's right. Um, but thank you for listening to Locked on Mavericks. Uh, feel free to subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever other people that use Androids do their business. Um, it's the Locked on Podcast Network. It's your team every day um, on demand for you to uh, check out and uh, listen to. So thank you for doing that. Next Monday will be uh, Media Day. And we will be on boots on the ground there. The Monday after that will be preseason basketball all up in your face. But next Monday will be a little tricky because um, we will literally be at Media Day for hours on end. So if you want to send some questions to at LockedOnMavs on Twitter or uh, at LockedOnMavs at gmail.com. We already have a couple in there, which we'll get to. We'll probably do a uh, questions questions answering segment on Monday because we will be caught up in... Uh, the glory that is media day over at the AAC. So there you go. What we're going to do today is uh, press on with our position previews. And uh, we're real creative and real thoughtful, so we're just going to go straight up the next position in size. Um, We did point guard Monday, uh, shooting guard yesterday. If you didn't check those out, please do. And today will be, you guessed it, small forwards. Uh, The gym rat, Chandler Parsons, is gone. 
Oh, so. <laughs> Sh- Shade City. Yeah, I love that dirt quote though. That, that yeah. got me fired up. No, I know. I, I, you know, I, I feel like he knew what he was doing. Oh, absolutely, man. Like Parsons' first week here was like, you know, I just love playing. I'm ball is life and all that kind of stuff. And then Dirk's like, you haven't seen too many of those dudes. <laughs> the, the minute he's gone, yikes. The, the minute the wife walks out the door, you're cranking up Rocket League, another room. So, <laughs> I mean. I don't know that I ever really thought, like, it seemed to me, like, I, I believed him. Let's just say that. I believed Parsons. But then you would hear things from people with the team um, that seemed like he didn't really care as much as they wanted him to care. Sure. And I couldn't tell how much of that was just confirming their suspicions that he was, like, party boy. Mm-hmm. Because he would, you know, post pictures of himself out all the time. And then we had the Carlisle calling him fat controversy. <laughs> right. And then also sometimes I wonder how much is just that people who are with the team or really close to the team here are spoiled by Dirk, and they think that every player of that caliber is going to work like that. And oh, like, it's like no Dirk doubt. and Jason Kidd. I'm like, listen, man, if that's your comp, you're going to be pretty disappointed for how hard dudes work. Yeah, there's going to be a big gully between first ballot Hall of Famers and everyone else. And I got something to I got something to tell you. I think Harrison Barnes is going to disappoint you on that level as well. It's not going to be the same because he's not going to be like advertising uh, clothing and wearing dress shoes with no socks. <laughs> but I don't know how else to explain how disappointing relative to expectations he's been other than there's no way he's working like Dirk works. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. I mean, Dirk, you know, went out of his way to compliment his work ethic. And I think the dude, like, works pretty hard at it. I don't think he ever, like, ever rests on his natural ability or anything like that. But, yeah, I don't think <laughs> – there there are only so many Hall of Fame-level work ethic dudes. Yeah. And that's why they are who they are. And I think her, a lot of Harrison Barnes's problem is probably going to that team, um, not understanding what he needed to do initially, uh, being small fish in big pond. Uh, when there are like piranhas in <laughs> Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, and even early on, like there were players that demanded the basketball way more than him, and you think it wouldn't be too big for him being you know the number one player coming out of high school, but it obviously was. Like the his time in Golden State is very tricky, um, and I don't know if we can say a lot of definitive statements about what he's going to be this season, and we're going to try and fight through a Harrison Barnes. Uh, position preview without ending every sentence with we'll see or I wish we knew but you know he's going to get more possessions obviously he's going to get more minutes Um, do you think he's worthy of those and do those turn into um, winning possessions for the Mavericks and the pick and roll thing pick and roll ball handler thing is the biggest question because he hasn't done it man he's never done it and he's never been that good at it. I know uh, when I was on with David Locke, he, you know, he gets all the, um, what's the super Syner- duper synergy. Yeah, synergy stuff. And he said, you know, he ran like 40 total ball handler pick and roll possessions uh, in his career. And he was in the 89th percentile doing it. But yeah. I still watch the dude and I'm like, I don't want you dribbling more than twice. Yeah. Uh, NBA puts up a sort of a condensed version of those numbers now and you can go look at the fact that he basically lived offensively with post-ups. Mm-hmm. Um, he had, in 66 games last year, he had 95 post-up possessions. Like, for a guy who's a, who's basically a three, that's pretty weird. And basically, to me, what was happening 
was that would occur whenever Clay or Steph would take a play off. Mm-hmm. They would just dump the ball to him, and he would work. And Or they would dump the ball even sometimes in the second unit to Sean Livingston. And they would let him post up because I think he's limited in his ability to be a pick-and-roll guy as well. So, you know, bigger guys who don't really have a ton of other skill set, but they can get to the basket uh, in post-ups. But that's like the fourth thing I'm concerned about when it comes to a guy who's going to be my starting, you know, small forward. Yep. Like, I think he's probably decent enough as an isolation player, but, you know, again, that's not all that. And, again, looking at it here, last year he had 65 isolation post or uh, isolation possessions in 66 games. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he was basically – he was basically getting about – seven to ten possessions himself to score like a game that were not just completely created for him and i i'm pretty suspect about how their offense is going to work now last year he shot the three at 38 percent the year before he was he was at 41 if he shoots at 38 percent but also is able to handle taking I don't know, five to six threes a game instead of three. Mm-hmm. No matter how he gets them, that I can deal with because then he's probably scoring 15 points a game instead of 11. But I still think it's probably going to be a gummed up offense, at least for a little while. Um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty confused as to how you're having three guys, one through three, who really are not very good at getting to the basket. Like, Darren can do it, but I wouldn't say that he's one of the better at his position. You might have, like, the least explosive one through three in the game. Yeah, I don't think that's crazy. But you also have, like, a, a, a basketball IQ-wise, a one through three that I very much believe in. So I don't know totally how you suss that out. It's not like they're three guys who I think are not skilled and um, – useless they they each have their own abilities and i think that it's just a matter of how they can fit together and how they can alter their games while playing with each other because it's going to be different than what any of them are used to before yeah and i feel like uh harrison barnes right now in his career is basically the small forward version of what wesley matthews was coming into in his final year in in portland um like they're replicas of each other on the offensive end uh, Barnes might, you know, because he's bigger naturally, uh, you might have the you know wise idea to post him more, and he might have a little bit more diversity. But I feel like they're almost like a carbon copy of each other, just extrapolated up in size and in position and where they play on the court um, for most possessions. And I think the tricky thing this season, which is going to be what I'm going to be watching basically the first, I don't know, 10 to 20 games, is how patient Rick is with letting Harrison Barnes run a pick and roll. Like how yeah. long how long until he's like, "Okay, I've seen this. This movie, like I've seen the I've seen the prequel, I've seen the movie and I've seen, you know, the uh the Iron Man 2 version. Like this is this is not working. Um let's go ahead and change up what we're doing our main offense. Like I don't know what their main play is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't know what they start a offensive possession with. And that happened a ton last year, where yeah. they would just waste they would just waste shot clock, um, either because the ball didn't get up quick enough and it didn't get swung quick enough, 
or just no one respected a Zaza pick or a pin down. And yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be sticky for I don't know maybe a month um, until they figure out what they're good at. Because I don't think Harrison Barnes knows what he's good at, other than standing at the three point line and uh, and you know spot up shooting, which is all he did in the playoffs. Like that's whenever they whenever the Warriors like had to win games, he became not part of the equation, other than standing there and waiting for someone to swing the ball to him. So I think I think early on that offense is going to be bad. But I guess the positive is you would assume you have a lot of defensive versatility and you have a lot of guys that can switch. Um, and Harrison Barnes is part of that. He can probably go two through four um, in guarding the other team's perimeter players on certain nights. And Wes Matthews is the same thing. And then you get to Justin Anderson, who uh, I'm probably most excited to see him play this year. And, yeah, it's because <laughs> I feel like I've been a neglected, ne- neglected youth um, in terms of actually getting to see a younger player contribute on this team. So I'm just so thir- I'm so thirsty for it. There's no doubt. That's a but, big part of it. And his personality is endearing. But like oh, if, yeah. we, if we had had a first-round pick that had some potential every year and he was kind of an a-hole, mm-hmm. then I don't know that we would be quite as excited about him. But he also – not only does he have an exciting game, he's also like a hype man. Oh, yeah, for sure. Which yeah, dude. you know, last year there wasn't there just wasn't a whole lot of that on their squad last year because you know yeah, Parsons would get fired up whenever he was playing, but he wasn't the guy to turn to the crowd and like start going Hulk Hogan and Justin Anderson would do it like in his third minute on the floor, <laughs> right? I'm like, how are you this hyped already? <laughs> yeah, dude, he, he he just loves being in the league, like yeah. he just loves playing, and he's he's a great interview, which obviously helps our perception of him. But so tell me if I'm crazy on this. I'm looking at his numbers. I'm looking at um, April, whenever he had to go and start because Parsons' knee quit on him. Um, and I'm looking at the playoffs. And in April, he played 26 minutes a game. And the results weren't great. He kind of he was kind of shy. Uh, his usage percentage was really, really low, his usage rate. Um, like, he just didn't want to shoot. He didn't want to be a hindrance. He just wanted to do his thing on defense. And if you throw me the rock and I'm open on three, I'll shoot it. I don't think it's crazy that at the seven-minute mark in the first quarter, Justin Anderson comes in and J.J. Barea come in at the seven-minute mark. for De- So then you have Barea, Wes, uh, Anderson, Barnes, and Bogut still in. Yeah. And your three, the middle of your lineup, that two through four, can switch on almost anybody. Yeah, and also Barea is probably the least uh, exposed that he's ever been in his career. Right. Yeah, man, if someone blows by him – like, Harrison Barnes isn't really a rim protector, but Justin Anderson is, man. Yeah. Like, his numbers inside uh, 10 feet are staggering for a rookie. Like, he's, he's six uh, percentage points better inside 10 than league average. He's seven points better uh, inside six feet than league average. Like, that's nuts. That's something to build on. Like, his de- defensive acumen is going to keep him on the floor, I think, uh, or it's going to get him on the floor. What's going to keep him on the floor is if he can actually knock down his threes at a decent percentage. Yeah. So then the weird thing about that is if you go back, you know, last year, what did he hit last year at forty? No, last year he only shot at twenty-seven percent mm-hmm. uh, from three, forty percent overall. But twenty twenty-seven uh, percent from three, and the numbers were 
22 out of 83. So like a pretty small sample. Right. But if you go back to his college numbers, he his freshman year shot 30% from three, and that was in, you know, very few. Mm-hmm. Uh, his sophomore year, he shot 29%, bumping it up to 2.8 a game. And his junior year, he hit at a 45% clip while shooting four threes a game. So basically, you know, every game he was hitting, you know, every two games he was hitting uh, three or four threes. Yeah. Uh, which is not, again, that's not like a ton because he wasn't like a big-time scorer. There were other scorers on that Virginia team. Mm-hmm. But even if he can get to, again, we're all t- we're talking about all these guys trying to get to 37 to 40%. Now, that might be wishful thinking for Justin Anderson based on the fact that, you know, he was really streaky with it last year, didn't take a ton of shots, and we're basing it off of one year in college where he had a 15% increase. But if you can figure out a way to get him even to 35 to 40, if Wes is hitting at 40 and Barnes is hitting at 38, that's a pretty solid uh, – that's a pretty solid option as far as 3 and D guys that can guard up and down and can all space the floor, especially if they're out there with Berea. Yeah, that's that's really nasty, man. If you if you have three yeah. dudes that you can throw on there at the court at one time that and can hit. You know what else? Those guys are going to be here. Yep, so for sure. So you've got Barnes for four years. <clears throat> you've mm-hmm. got another three of West. Now he'll be 34 at the end of it, but you've got another three or four of Anderson. So – that's probably the thing about that that excites me the most because if you could if Seth Curry turns out to be like a nice rotation guard like right. I could I could see that being a starting two through four one day especially oh, sure. given the way the league is going now that might mean that Barnes is mostly guarding guarding bigs which I think even though he's not a rim protector he can guard a lot of fours mm-hmm. uh, maybe it means that Anderson is guarding fours but I could see them starting that one day and if they're able to actually hit on a point guard in the draft, Yep. Uh, you know, a couple years from now, they could be back into being the type of team that, and, you know, they'll still have their free agency money. Um, and we're talking really about what they look like after Dirk, because for as great as he is still, Dirk doesn't totally fit into what the league is doing now. Yeah. Like he sure. can still just knock down anything, which mm-hmm. is part of it, but he doesn't, he can't switch. He can yep. be exposed in the pick and roll. He can't really create his own shot too much anymore other than, his fade. So having those three dudes, if they're all able to sit at 35 to 40 from three and they can all switch, that's kind of what we've been hoping for. Yeah. And I feel like Dirk doesn't have a place on the court, um, basically 30 minutes out of a game. Um, and the other 18, like he's fine. Like he can, you can figure out a way to use him for 20 minutes a game, but there's 10 in there when it's going to get real weird and you're going to get mat mismatches, uh, across your lineup because he's in there. Um, the thing that interests me with this two through four, like you said, moving forward, they're going to get time to grow together. They're going to get time to play together. Um, and I think that's – dude, I, I would not be in any way surprised if at game one, seven-minute mark, Justin Anderson comes in. And when you look at them moving forward, like if you have that two, three, four, um, and you can run a one-five pick and roll, yeah. if, some, if somehow you get a lethal point guard – that is decent at uh, – it doesn't have to be necessarily a good three-point shooter or anything like that. Just a point guard that is really deadly in a pick and roll and a five that can rim run, like that team's going to cause a lot of stinking problems. Yeah. And, and I think it's on them to give Justin Anderson the minutes, 
give him the time, figure out what he's good at. Because you look at these other three and D type guys like um, like Wes Matthews, uh, Damari Carroll. You know, name your name your favorite three and D guy. They aren't built like Justin Anderson is, dude. He's way more athletic. Uh, he can jump higher. He can run faster um, than just about any three and D guy in the league. And if he starts knocking down his shot, which it's dude, it's a fine shot. Like I don't know what I think he was a little freaked out last year, honestly. Yeah. Just watching some of you know some of his uh, three point attempts where they would hit the side of the backboard and stuff. He's got a real simple left handed stroke. There's nothing tricky to it. You just got to settle yourself and use your legs. And he's going to be open, like, uh, in that scenario, whenever he's playing at the seven-minute mark. So, I'm like, this position might be my favorite position to watch this year, uh, small forward, in terms of the one through five that we have that we're rolling out. I don't know if it's the most talented. Obviously, you've got Dirk <laughs> right next to him. So, it's hard to say any position other than uh, power forward is, is, the, uh, is the most talented. But I'm really excited to watch what – what tricks they have with Harrison Barnes. I'm um, just and criticize every pick and roll possession he, he takes. <laughs> I can't wait for that. And then how they use Justin Anderson. Because I think he needs 25 minutes a night. And I think that's imperative for the Mavs moving forward. Wow, I was going to say 18 to 20. <clears throat> but I'd be really happy with 25. And really, if you're playing him the way you were talking about, getting to 25 is not hard at all. Yeah. Uh, and at that point, you've rolled back Dirk to 25 to 28 as opposed to the 33 that he somehow was still able to post last year, mm-hmm. which I think yep. is kind of, you know, that's the goal here. Right. And Justin Anderson's uh, per 36 playoff numbers, uh, if those interest you in any way, uh, 18 points, eight rebounds, three assists. And he was only getting 20 minutes in the playoffs. But uh, those final seven April games are something to build on. And I feel kind sure. of bad because we're extrapolating out. <laughs> we're extrapolating things on top of extrapolations. Like Seth Curry, we kind of were like, hey, look at this this little uh, – we're kind of cherry picking. And then, uh, you know, Harrison Barnes, kind of the same thing. And then with Justin Anderson, we're doing the same thing. But that's how – I mean, that's what you do whenever you're trying to, like, um, turn something turn, – turn nothing into something. Because yeah. they, didn't, they didn't have a future. Um, and now they kind of do with that two through four. And I think Justin Anderson's going to be, I mean, he's already like a fan favorite, but I think he's going to be like Al Farouk Aminu level um, excitement when he comes in at the seven minute mark. Um, do you want to hear a little bit about Dorian Finney Smith before we get off here? Sure. So uh, Florida guy um, started at West, uh, Virginia tech, his freshman year, I think the only reason I'm focusing on him, because we talked about it yesterday, there's six dudes challenging for that one spot, that one final roster spot, because I think they keep Jonathan Gibson because there's a three-year deal. But Dorian Finney-Smith is like a three-point specialist, basically. He's got a good frame where he can defend dudes. Um, six eight with a uh, basically seven-foot wingspan, small forward position, can guard multiple – can guard probably two through four. Uh, decent defender. Knocked down uh, – I think it was – where was it? Let me see per games 30 36% from 3 last year on 5 plus 3s a game 43% the year before that on 4 threes he doesn't have much besides a uh, a spot up shot but his frame's great for switching defensively um and I think he's getting that final that final roster spot if he doesn't just freak out during training camp or something cuz they can stash Brasino uh Gibson is on a 3 year non-guaranteed deal so they'll probably keep him around at least this, this year and then I think that's 
they need a guy that can come in and have some defensive flex and uh, a big body and a decent shooter wouldn't hurt at all. So I think Finney Smith's going to be your 15th Mav. But it does look a little bit weird how the much like Justin Anderson, the jump he had in three point percentage from yeah. you know 30 percent to 43, uh, and at least he was able to stabilize at 42 or 41 the next year. But mm. that's uh that's really weird when that happens. I guess that's just part of being in college. Yeah, I guess I don't even I don't even I don't know how to explain that. Um, and I'm sure it's a little bit of figuring out your shot and taking smarter looks, and I don't know. I mean, that Virginia, that Virginia team was pretty good. These Florida teams were pretty good. So I don't know if it's just talent getting older. But, yeah, I, I don't expect much from him. And to, to, put it, uh, to put it in a flattering light, I think he's a poor man's Justin Anderson. So <laughs> without, without as much athleticism. So I hope he All makes right. the final roster spot. Well, tomorrow it's uh, Sotnam Day, right? <laughs> yeah, tomorrow is uh, Sotnam Singh front to back. <laughs> We're going to talk about Rafe LaFrance, and we're going to get you ready for the Mavs season with the power forward preview. Oh, okay. I, uh, yeah, I guess we still have to do the fours. The next day we'll be breaking down what it would look like if, if Mike took on Satnam Singh in a one-on-one contest. That 20, when, we do the, when we do the fives. 25 straight minutes. I'm reviewing <laughs> my, my strategy, how I'm going to score on him, oh, how, he, how he's not gosh. getting any buckets. All right, uh, shoot us an email at uh, LockedOnMavs at gmail.com or via the Twitter at LockedOnMavs, and we'll answer your questions on the Monday episode. Thank you for listening. Subscribe, rate, review, and, uh, hey, subscribe to some of those other uh, Locked On Podcast Network yeah. shows, uh, some of the NFL ones I'm sure you'll enjoy. All right, thanks, Jake. We'll see you.